0: What does your restaurant's holiday situation look like? Are you packed with reservations and events from here through the end of the year? This is your opportunity to capitalize on that massive demand, and Yelp for Restaurants is here to help. Leverage their state-of-the-art reservation and waitlist systems, paired with the largest consumer network in the country to drive more awareness and get more butts in seats this holiday season. To learn more about Yelp Guest Manager and how we work with restaurant owners to reach their full potential, visit restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Now here
1: we go. Build great food, build a path for people to find you in the community and online and then you can make it look better later. People are not coming to you because you've got this super amazing banquet covered in the latest, greatest fabric sourced from India. They're coming for the food.
0: Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. Are you on track to hit your profitability goals for this year? If you're struggling to hit your numbers, I might be able to help. Here's how I do it. Every year, I offer five complimentary growth sessions to restaurant owners looking to scale. In this call, we'll examine your current situation to see what is and isn't working. We'll identify your growth possibilities by the close of the year. We'll uncover the number one thing holding you and your business back. And we'll develop a growth plan that will get your business results. Go to planwithjosh.com to schedule one of the five complimentary growth sessions. They're going to go quickly. They always do. I don't believe there's anything more vital to the success of an independent restaurant than the location we choose. But defining the perfect location has become even more complicated in recent years. And that's why I reached out to today's guest, Robin Gagnon. Robin is a restaurant real estate expert, and today she shares the best practices and mistakes to avoid when it comes to choosing, leasing, and selling a restaurant in today's tough
1: environment. I interact with business brokers nationwide who often say to me, what are you thinking? Can I just give my restaurant listings to you? And we say, absolutely. But Here's the thing, Josh, for you and I and those of us who love that business, it's the heart and soul of a community. It's the heart and soul of a society. You think about what we went through during the pandemic. What were we three days at home before we were crazed and out the door and seeking someone to prepare food for us? But overall, as a society and as a human being, that thought process of breaking bread with someone else and sharing a glass of wine is where community comes together. And that's just something I am passionate about. And I wouldn't consider doing other things. How boring selling car washes or daycares? Give me a restaurant any day with all its warts and wobbles.
0: You come at it from a very interesting perspective. We were talking about this in the pre-interview. You catch restaurateurs at the beginning of their journey and at the end of their journey. And so that being the case, I'm sure that there are common threads of success, but there are also probably common threads that relate to failure. And so I would assume that people come to you all the time. I'm ready to buy a restaurant. I'm ready to start this journey. And sometimes they're actually ready and sometimes they're not. But I'm curious in your mind, how do you define ready? What are the things that independent restaurateurs need to have in place before starting on that entrepreneurial journey?
1: Yet you are right. We do catch people on the best and worst days of their lives. When they come to me, they are excited and ready to move out. We have some some serious conversations. Have you worked in the industry, first and foremost? And I will actually advise people against my own best interest to say, maybe it's not the best thing for you to buy a restaurant. We have this toolkit we've developed called the Restaurant Assessment Tool that says, are you really ready for the hours? for the time commitment, for the financial commitment. Do you have the expertise? Do you have the menu? We take them through another tool where we ask them, to show us your menu. Have you pulled your own credit? What's your background and experience? Do you have the cash to sustain this over the time period it's going to take to be successful because instant success is a myth. We can't sell it, we can't bottle it. Every once in a blue moon, there is a unicorn that opens a door and there's a line around the, the corner. And it's like that until the day they close. But you and I both know that is just such a rarity. For most people, it's hard work, doing it right, measuring the fundamentals, keeping on track of them, not signing up for too much space, too much occupancy cost, loads at the front end, and growing responsibly over time.
0: Define ready for me, granularly. If there was a checklist for ready, because everybody's listening, they all heard you, and they say, yeah, I'm ready. I got it. I got all of that. I've got a menu. I've got this. I've got that. I think I know my target audience. But for you, granularly, what does that checklist of ready look like?
1: Well, you said something very interesting there. You said, oh, I think I've got my target audience. Put paper and pencil down together and let me see your business plan. And let's measure that and make sure it's realistic. I walk people all the time through business plans where they're going to operate only seven hours a day, but somehow they're going to do 2,000 covers in a 1,500 square foot space. I will rip a business plan to pieces and really challenge you. If your average menu item is $8, you're not going to get to a million two in the first year in 1,500 square feet of space with 112 covers a day. So it's really getting entirely granular, looking at every single day part you're serving, every single menu item you're serving. People come into this business with a passion. They come into it with a lot of skill many times for feeding others and the hospitality side of the business, but they don't have the financial acumen. So I think where we come into play is that we challenge them back to say, let's understand those numbers. And a lot of times what we're selling in our business are turnaround opportunities where somebody came in, they overestimated what they were going to be able to achieve. And then that becomes a turnaround. But those same Issues are at play in a turnaround situation. Now you're going to turn it around. How are we going to raise those sales by $200,000 a year? How are you going to increase average menu prices? Having a menu designed is fine, but what's your cost of goods? What's your cost per menu item? Do you really understand the metrics that it's going to take to run the business? And at the end of the day, it's all a math problem. As much as we love it for the hospitality and for the communion and for The way in which we share as a community and society in breaking bread together, it all comes down to the numbers.
0: I had this sobering moment. So I opened a bar in Hollywood on Hollywood Boulevard back in 2010. (laughs) And the day that we opened, I was so excited to do it. I owned and operated that bar for 12 years. And so we had a fabulous run. And there was a pizza shop, a teeny tiny pizza shop right next to me that was owned by a guy that was, I guess, a restaurateur because he owned it. But he was like a construction guy. And he had owned that pizza place for 10 years. And I'm standing out front of my bar the day that I open. I've got my arms folded and he walks out and he's standing next to me. And I'm so excited and it's so busy. And I said, man, this is the beginning of something amazing. And he turns to me and he was an older man. And he said, you're the third tenant I've seen in the last five years. (laughs) uh, and yeah. Lord knows it took the wind out of my sails. But what you just said reminded me of this thing, which is optimism is powerful and it's a powerful motivator. But so many of us are opening our dream concepts in a failed restaurant. And it was literally months prior with somebody else's dream. And so for me, that moment was incredibly sobering where I started looking at the fundamentals. Over time, I sort of figured it out. And I wanted to share an idea with you and get your thoughts on it. I interviewed Sam Marvin, the founding chef of Bodega Louie. He was one of the principal partners in it. And when he built it, he built it with hedge fund guys, right? That aren't looking to build a dream. They're looking to build a business. And they sat out front of that location for months, estimating foot traffic, determining parking, trying to figure out what the per customer average spend was in all of the neighboring restaurants. For them, it was math and it was science as it related to determining the right location for them. How do you walk your clients through that process to figure out if that location is the perfect location for them?
1: Well, it's interesting because it's also changed so much. That dynamic has changed since the pandemic, right? Because we're not doing all of our business in the seats in the dining any longer. So much of that is third party. So it depends a bit on the concept. Are you full service? Are you fast casual? Are you quick serve? How are people coming in and how much of your business will be done on third party platforms or through takeout and delivery? So a lot of what we might have said five years ago has changed quite a bit in response to how the customer is choosing their dining experience today. And we have many, many people who adopted just a phone application for buying food that there's they remained in that situation. And a lot of it's generational. We still see millennials and baby boomers. They want the dining experience and Gen X and Gen Y are happy to pick it up to go. So I don't think you can rely as much on, hey, I've got the best location in the world. What we're seeing is have the best concept, Obviously, you've got to have the right branding so you stand out among the sea of sameness that is every single online platform being delivered. You've got to make people so interested and ready to buy your food. They eat with their eyes. You've got to have this amazing social media presence and you've got to be good at things you didn't have to be good at 10 years ago. Josh, no one had to know how to light a plate and make it gorgeous and get people to click share and Join in on the conversation online, which brought them to the door. So, those hedge fund guys might not be as successful today because they don't have that creative side of the business.
0: I want to talk about thinking small. So, I went from a 900 square foot bar in Hollywood to a 6,000 square foot, two story fine dining restaurant in downtown Los Angeles. I would argue that I could open that same restaurant today in 1,800 square feet and generate the same top line through a variety of income streams.
1: I would agree with you.
0: Is that what you're seeing as well, is that people are thinking smaller as it relates to square
1: footage? Absolutely. It couldn't happen to a better group of people than these greedy landlords out there who have been (laughs) sticking it to the restaurant industry for so many years without fail. We wrote a book back in 2012, my husband and I called Appetite for Acquisition. And one whole chapter is dedicated to the theory that the landlord is not your friend. So I love this movement to a smaller space. And some of that is ego driven. I've worked with chefs that just they want a luxurious 1,500 to 2,000 square foot kitchen. They're going to putting more food through that than they would with a 800-square-foot kitchen, but that's what they wanted 10 years ago, 12 years ago. Not anymore. It's a shrinking space, and in a lot of ways, it's in order to control occupancy costs. It's also because the, the consumer has changed their model in terms of how they are dining and where they are dining and willing to come in and pick things up. So, yeah, the whole complexity of the restaurant business has shifted and changed, but overall, it's a smaller box.
0: And so let's say that we found the perfect location for us, right? And we've got the right business plan. And we've checked every box but one, which is the most important box. It's money. So talk to me about creative funding sources that you've seen. The best way to get approved for a loan when you're trying to open a restaurant, which feels like an impossible feat. And understanding financials in a way that will resonate with the people that you would hope would give you money.
1: Well, it goes back to building that business plan and making sure you've taken it to a qualified resource in the industry and have them bulletproof it before you then begin shopping it to a banker who will shoot the same holes in it that we would up front and really understand it. But build a business plan. So creatively, we have unsecured lending resources that will lend up to 250000 on just a signature if your credit is good. Not sure that you should get up to $250,000 on your signature if your credit is good to go into the restaurant business. So again, getting back to that business plan and making sure that it's reasonable. We're still having people do crowdfunding and assist other people in their dream. A lot of people rely on friends and family and people partner. But I will say part of what we do as a brand that we sell restaurants is help a lot of people come out of the business because that partnership failed. Right. Just like a marriage may fail. Partnerships aren't forever. So you have to be very careful about who you're going into business with. But ultimately, if you can get into business for yourself, by yourself, that's the best way to retain control over your piece of the industry. But that may not be possible. Then you go soliciting help from others.
0: What does that business plan look like? You've mentioned it a few times. I am a product of, I was born in the late 70s. So let's say I was a product of the 80s and 90s. A business plan in the 80s and 90s looked like this 30-page document with charts and all of that. So when you talk about a business plan, is it that or has it evolved over the years?
1: I think that it has evolved. The key elements are still there. What's the overall vision for the restaurant? Start out with what does it look like? What does the logo look like? Does the brand personality show through the logo, which is the very first page someone should open? And then into the vision for the business. Who are the principals in this business? What's their background? What's their experience? And then who are you going to serve in the community? Why is there a need for that particular type of food, brand, or cuisine? And beyond that, then how are you going to reach them? To me, the two key pieces in a business plan How are you going to market to that audience you intend to capture? What does that look like in detail? Is there a boots on the ground component where you're spreading information locally? What's the social media strategy? Do you already own the website and the URLs to make that happen? And then the other piece is then the financial component. Then based on that marketing, can you produce the number of feet or bodies in the seats that it will take in order to do those numbers on reasonable turnover ratios? And based on what we know about the industry, where food costs are, and allocating ongoing money for marketing. A lot of people say, oh, I'll make a big splash, I'll get out there, and then it just keeps coming. But we can't live off residual business. You've got to continue to market. So a business plan that has a big red flag for me is one that comes in with the financial projections, are not realistic based on the turnover rate, average price, and the menu itself. And then ones that don't include enough money for marketing after the fact. And the biggest issue I see, Josh, as people are building out restaurants, is that they overbuild the restaurant relative to their original concept. They overbuild the size. They continue to layer on what it should look like. Build great food. Build a path for people to find you in the community and online. And then you can make it look better later, right? People are not coming to you because you've got this super amazing banquet covered in the latest, greatest fabrics sourced from India. They're coming for the food. And since a community you can establish there can be done very inexpensively. So don't overspend making it a Taj Mahal. Get the food right, get the customer right, and they will come.
0: It feels like a really slippery slope and I'm talking from first hand experience. Well, you know, when I opened that fine dining restaurant in downtown Los Angeles, when I walked into the building the first time before we had leased it, it was the most beautiful restaurant I had ever seen in my life. And I tore it down to the studs. To oh. the oh, studs. <laughs> I did. I trenched to build another bathroom on the first floor. I mean, we leveled it and I could give you a thousand reasons why, some of which were legitimate. Having said that, it was really hard. You're not starting off on the right foot because now I've got to pay back all of this money that I spent. And what you find over time when you've done this again and again and again is 100% what you said, which is people want food. They want a pleasant atmosphere. But do I think that they notice the custom banquettes that we built? No, I don't. With the custom buttons that had a little flirtlies <laughs> on it because it was a southern concept. And I think so much of the time, restaurateurs, and I say this a bunch on the show, that we prize innovation. We love to spend money. But you're only impressing other restaurateurs because the customers themselves, they're only in there for an hour, hour and a half, two hours. They're looking for a specific kind of experience that if you deliver on, they'll return. And if not, they won't. But the type of banquet you have matters very little in that process.
1: I'm glad you shared that experience because that kind of transparency is important in this industry for people to admit, right? Don't tear it down. One of the chapters that we wrote in the book is called Build It or Buy It. And I'm a firm believer, buy someone else's build out, change a paint color put up a new sign and menu board and leave the rest of it alone. Live with it for a minute and get everything else right. Get the service right, get the food right, get the menu right, get the marketing dollars spent and leave the rest of it alone. And then if you say, I absolutely cannot live without that bathroom on the first floor, then spend the $40,000 it probably costs you to build that bathroom.
0: Oh, way more than that. <laughs> but let me ask you about that. Is there a ratio in your mind So let's assume that we build a restaurant and we estimate that that restaurant's going to generate $2 million a year. How much should we spend on that build out? Or I mean, the average restaurant makes what about 1.2, 1.4 million a year. So if we're going to make what the average restaurant makes per year, how much should we feel comfortable spending on that build out? Let's assume we want to spend $500,000 on a build out or a million dollars on a build out. How much would the restaurant need to generate in your mind based on projections in order for those numbers to make sense? Is there a formula?
1: Well, I think if you're going to spend $500,000, you are going to have to, I would say, at least 10 to 1, right? Don't spend that unless you're going to do $5 million because you've got to look at your time of repayment. So, if you're generating, and I'm going to do it from the sales standpoint, if you're generating five million in sales, you're pretty much dropping five hundred thousand to the bottom line. You amortize that over ten years; that's fifty thousand per year. So that's your projected payback that you're going to have, absent any interest. So just your debt service is going to be fifty thousand a year. You have to figure out what you're comfortable with for your debt service because that's profit that's not going in your pocket. That's profit that's going into someone else's profit. So I would say 10 to 1 based on that income or EBITDA roughly 10% drop into the bottom line of a well-run restaurant today. Prime costs are through the roof. Occupancy, food, and labor are through the roof. So it's a great operator that's getting double-digit earnings on the bottom line. Time
0: and time again, I see restaurateurs opening new concepts and repeating old mistakes. The most powerful tool we have is the experience of experts we can trust. Mike Benson and the team from Southern California Restaurant Design Group have built literally hundreds of restaurants and have worked with the best in the biz. Exclusively for full-comp listeners, Mike and his team have crafted the essential checklist to opening a restaurant. This free guide explains in detail the steps we should take to complete our next project on time and on budget. Go to SoCalRestaurantDesign.com forward slash full comp to download this powerful free resource today. So now we found a location and we like it and we want to lease this particular location, but there are countless pitfalls, right? So many things that you don't think about as you're walking through the location, Talk to me about due diligence, negotiation, closing the deal. Is there a checklist of things we should be watching out for?
1: Yes. So the first thing I would tell, I tell everybody this, is that that landlord representative who is on the sign at the property works for the landlord. He does not work for you, right? He's answering the phone when you call, but his representation is for the landlord. So never, ever go into one of these scenarios for a lease space without having your own representation. Have it be someone who understands the restaurant space. So they are asking questions for due diligence. I'm most concerned about the HVAC. Do you have 10 tons, 20 tons, or three tons, right? Like, If it's a former retail space, then it's 2,000 square feet. There may be three tons of HVAC in there, which is fine for a clothing shop, but it is hugely undersized for somewhere where there's going to be heat and a lot of people and a kitchen. You need 10 tons of HC in there. So you need someone who understands that. So understanding that, I always look at the infrastructure that's in place as far as anything you need to operate a restaurant. A grease trap, Hood system, how long has it been there? Is it long enough to hold everything that you need under the hood? What is the bathroom situation and what does that mean in terms of compliance with those with special needs? There are a lot of pitfalls to just leasing a space, particularly something that has to be renovated from a non-restaurant use to a restaurant use. So, you want somebody who's going to protect you in that lease to make sure that there's language in there that says the landlord is going to provide it to you with a certificate of occupancy appropriate for a restaurant use, which may mean they have to put in a grease trap. It may mean they have to do certain things that otherwise would not be required under the zoning for that particular space. And then we've talked a lot
0: about landlords, right? Not in the most positive light, but there are certainly varying degrees of landlords out there. Not to say that any of them are in your corner and that any of them are rooting for you, but are there red flags? Are there things where it's like an A-plus location for you, it's the right lease rate, everything checks out. But are there red flags as it comes to the landlord themselves or the way they do business that we should watch out for? That even if everything else looks right, maybe we should walk away from that deal.
1: Yeah. Look online to some of the leasing websites and look where they have leased space in the past and go talk to some of their tenants. The good news is that's a pretty easy thing to do. Find out because a landlord could put you out of business if they're slow to make repairs for something that's their responsibility. If you think about it, the landlord usually owns from the walls out and the tenant is usually responsible for the walls in. So let's say that the piece of equipment fails, whatever, you're on the hook to make that work. But if you get a hole in your roof and the landlord takes six weeks to six months to get it repaired, you're out of business. So I would say talking to existing tenants of the landlord is a great place to start and let those tenants share their experience. The other things that would be red flags for me or some of these clauses that landlords put into leases, sneak into leases, like relocation clauses I'm not a fan of relocation clauses where the landlord can move you somewhere else in their center to something that they deem to be comparable because it's never going to be comparable. I don't want my tenants, my restaurants to have to be open to having to move their space ever. I want to make sure that you're protected. We're working with a client right now who the landlord was adamant that they wouldn't give any form of protections for his concept, which was pizza. He just didn't want someone else that to come in and do pizza in the same center, which only had like eight spaces in it. So if the landlord's not willing to sign up for a non-compete clause for something as basic as, I don't want another pizzeria in the shopping center, it's probably not best to do business with them. The worst thing that could happen is somebody could come at the other end serving the same thing and put you out of business. The other thing I would say to really work, look out for with landlords are camp, common area charges, CAMs. Those shared charges can go through the roof. Yeah. And I can remember a situation. We were in Atlanta at the time, and my husband uh, speaks French. So he, all the French chefs would call Eric because they could just speak in their native language and talk to him. And we did this lease at this tiny little space inside a building in downtown Atlanta. And the tenant called Eric about two years later and said, oh my goodness, all the tenants are meeting tonight. And there's a big thing going on because they are assessing everyone under their cam charges. And it's my cams are not going to be equal to my rent because they have to redo the roof and all this. And it was a shared building with a bunch of residential space as well. And he said, what do I do? And my husband said, stay away from the meeting. And he said, what do you mean? And he said, well, just remember this. You don't know now, but back when I did your lease, I kept your cams. So while everybody else's cams are doubling and they're going to be the amount of their lease, yours can't increase more than 5% per year. So just keep your mouth shut and stay away from all the fray. And so, you know, knowing, having people who are experienced in your corner doing things to make sure you're protected, the landlord's not willing to look at certain expenses and sign up for certain protections for you. Don't get blinded by how great the space is. It's not that great. There's another opportunity. And I always say there's something else that's meant to be for you. Don't get blinders about that one space. If your concept is solid, your food is solid, your idea is good. You're going to just be able to find another space.
0: So landlords aside, buyers aside, let's look at it from the seller's perspective. So I've been working for the last 10 years. I've got a successful restaurant concept, but I'm tired. I'm very sleepy. And I'd like to sell this thing. Most of us don't begin with the end in mind, but it would be valuable if we did. What can we do to make sure that we get the maximum value for our restaurants when it is time to sell?
1: Well, and again, things are constantly shifting. A few years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, we started the brand We would have told you make sure all your sales are and your earnings are on the books because there was that lot of things going on under the table. That's not even an issue anymore, right? All the numbers are there. I would just say that make sure your accounting is clean. It's not a problem if you charge personal expenses through the business. Just be able to segregate those. Just be able to say, Hey, all my auto expense, all my auto insurance, my wife's lease on her Lexus, all those things run through the business. So that when we get ready to recast that business, and that's literally what we do as a restaurant brokerage firm, we recast your P&L and we look at any expenses that go away when you go away, that's fine. They get added back because that then is free cash flow for the buyer. But be able to make sure you understand what those things are. And as long as you can account for them, we can account for them. We can add them back and the lenders are happy to take them at that point. But when they're like buried and you're like, well, I buy my groceries through the store. Well, That's a bad idea. Your groceries, you can't really segregate that out. Or when I order from the food company, I just take home and we eat out of the stores. That's just driving up your cost of get sold. And there's no way for me to get that back for you on the back end. So,
0: So we've talked a lot about the evolving nature of the industry over the last several years. But I'd like to take the opportunity to look forward. So what trends do you see? What do you think the market's going to look like through the close of the year and into 2024?
1: Yeah, so that's a great question. I currently I write every quarter for Biz by Sell who tracks all the transactions in the country's small one to two three unit deals and they actually do a quarterly insights report and then they send me all the restaurant data and from that I do the Restaurant insights report. And so I just got data, and we have seen a, a slowing in the industry over the last one year period. I mean, in 2021, the first quarter of 2021, restaurant transactions were something on the magnitude of 42% above the prior year. And then every quarter since then, they've been declining. They went from 42% ahead down to 25% ahead, down to 15% ahead. This latest quarter, third quarter 2023, Restaurant transactions are pretty much flat to last year nationwide, about 1.1%. And that is just because this interest rate bubble has frightened a lot of people out of the market. I think it will ease. That being said, we sell restaurants outperform that by about a six to one margin, but people are a little bit afraid of interest rates. At the same time, there's data out there from Bank of America, internal data that they have published saying that. People are losing their jobs and going on unemployment at a higher rate in households with $125,000 earnings and above at a much faster rate than those at a dip lower household income level. So that tells me that those people who are out of work are going to be seeking opportunities that are generating six-figure returns. So there is definitely still a market that is out there. So on the one hand, we've got in interest rates and interest rates have maxed out as well. And that's another thing that's actually helpful for buyers. The Fed didn't raise rates the last go around. So that's helpful for buyers because they now know what their maximum is. And they can always go down from that and refinance deal terms down for the future and get a lower interest rate and get a greater return. So I'm cautiously optimistic that the fourth quarter will get back to probably a five to 6% return increase over last year's transactions. But I really think it's going to take the election and for people to kind of settle down overall before we get to gangbusters. That being said, out of the West Coast was the greatest growth this past year, this past quarter. And that includes California and pretty much all the Pacific Coast states, plus I think Alaska's thrown in the mix in Hawaii. And there was a 41% growth in transactions out of the West Coast. That's a function of people are still moving out of California and into Arizona, Colorado. Texas is actually leading the country right now in inbound Californians. So there is a lot of people movement still out of the West Coast and into other areas. So I think we're still going to see transactions. And there was some proposed legislation in California that affected the fast food industry, in particular franchise fast food. So I know you deal a lot more on the independent side, but the minimum wage for anyone that has a franchise brand with more than 60 locations in California, is going to $20 an hour January 1 of 2024, because they just reached a settlement on that with the International Franchise Association, the National Restaurant Association, and the SEIU, the labor unions, who are the ones fighting to kind of get get restaurants to be able to get in there and mobilize workers. So there's some certainty now about what's happening in California. So numbers are up in California, but I'm cautiously optimistic. And I think it'll be after the election has finally settled in 2024, before we start seeing real turnover happening again in the industry. There are always people who have to get out. There are people who want to get out. There are also, there's we're, we're faced with a point in time. You're definitely not part of that generation, Josh, but baby boomers are retiring. They have to retire. They've been at this longer than they meant to because COVID kept many of them in the game past the time when they would have retired. And we're facing what many are referring to as a silver tsunami. 10,000 baby boomers per day are turning 65 and they want to get out of the business and when they want to get out of the business, they would normally turn to family members and children. And those children just don't have any interest in going into the restaurant business. They're highly educated and have moved on to other ventures. So no matter what, transactions are still going to be happening. I would say until the election is settled in 2024, it doesn't matter which direction. The market just likes certainty one way or the other. They want to understand where we live That's why this interest rate, you know, rising rates, rising rates, rising, that uncertainty has been so tough, along with supply chain and and other things that are affecting the labor crisis, other things affecting the business. But it's still a good market to sell. It's not a fantastic market to sell, but it will get better once the election settles down in November of 2024.
0: Do you have any advice or words of encouragement for the folks listening? You've got thousands of restaurateurs listening right now. Any wisdom to impart?
1: Listen, you restaurateurs have my greatest respect for what they do every single day, providing an amazing experience to the consumer, dealing with labor concerns at the same time, also facing their own propensity for aging and wanting to look out of the business. I mean, I would say that the restaurant industry overall just proved itself to be so unbelievably resilient and always have a forward-looking, optimistic face, just Keep that in the face of everything that's going on. Just keep taking the body blows and continue to innovate and to prosper. And we're going to keep doing well, the industry as a whole. No one's giving up on the restaurant business. We love it. It continues to grow. Sales last month trended up for the, I think, seventh or eighth consecutive month. According to the National Restaurant Association, the customers are back. Enjoy what you're doing. And then when you're ready to look at the future, Give us a call and let's see if we can help you to the next phase of your life.
0: Our industry suffers from razor-thin margins, and the only way for us to ensure profitability is to make data-driven decisions. The numbers don't lie, and Yelp for Restaurants just released some incredibly compelling numbers. For starters, Yelp reaches nine times more customers online than OpenTable. And would restaurants pair that level of visibility with guest manager in Yelp ads, they experience up to an 8% lift in diner bookings. Think about what that 8% lift could do for your restaurant's finances. To learn more about how Yelp for Restaurants can support your business, visit restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp to learn more today. That's Robin Gagnon. To learn more about Robin and her company, visit wesellrestaurants.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.